Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I focused on Mackenzie Lewick, or if you prefer to pronounce her name, Luke, or whatever other way. A lovely young woman, 23 years of age, resident of El Segundo, California, Southern California, and a student at University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Utah, studying kinesiology, who is officially missing and whom supposedly is not in danger The police there in Salt Lake City have repeatedly made statements to the effect that they have not discovered anything that would lead them to believe that she is in danger. No. The fascinating thing about that is that you don't need to discover anything You don't need to come up with any kind of evidential material in order to recognize that she is in grave danger if, in fact, she's not already dead. Everything is unmistakably indicative of that. You don't need Sherlock Holmes to help you arrive at that conclusion. But while I will repeat a couple (laughs) items pertaining to that that I mentioned previously, I also am going to provide a recommendation. (laughs) In addition to uh, what I have stated repeatedly should be done immediately in cases like this, I also have a recommendation of something that could be done without any change in laws and so on and so forth. But, again, in terms of why it is unmistakably clear that Mackenzie Lewick is in gravest danger, she had flown home to El Segundo, to Los Angeles International Airport, in El Segundo, to be at a funeral service for her grandmother. Instead of staying in Southern California, she flew back to Salt Lake City, Utah. Why? Because she had to take her midterms, her midterm tests. But... Strangely enough, she never appeared to take her midterm examinations. No. And she had prearranged, scheduled, to meet with a girlfriend to have a girl's night out. That never happened. And she did not receive any of the phone calls and texts and other attempted communications from said girlfriend and from her family and loved ones after she called or texted. I just hate (laughs) this advent, 
that now, of course, we do not converse. We just send out these kinds of communications. After she sent a text to her family advising them that she had safely arrived in Salt Lake City at 1 a.m. <laughs> she safely arrived and then she was plunged into anything but safety virtually immediately thereafter. And it has been eight plus days now since her disappearance. But additionally, she's extremely active on social media. All right. In other words, a thoroughly modern young woman. Extremely active on social media. There has not been any communication from her on social media since her disappearance. But in addition to all of that, she was scheduled to fly back to Southern California to take part in a friend's wedding. That didn't happen. Oh, but there is nothing to indicate that she is in danger, according to the Salt Lake City Police. It would be one thing for them to say they have not been able to discover anything about her whereabouts, right? That they haven't come up with any evidence pertaining to her and pertaining to violence committed against her, okay? No blood, no body, no clothing, no belongings. But for them to say steadfastly that they have not discovered anything that would lead them to believe that she's in danger is, (laughs) it's not merely incompetent. It's disingenuous, it's deceitful, it's dishonest. Unless they are the most incompetent, stupid police in the United States of America, and I know they're not. I know that they're not. So why do they feel the need to communicate this way? Well, I don't know. They haven't communicated that to me. Why they feel this need. The spokesman, he also said, initially we were limited. Again, as time goes on, it's going to open up some of those avenues up to more investigative tools. The longer she's missing, the more opportunity we have to look into those sorts of things. Sorts of things like what? Phone records, bank records, social media accounts. Oh, well, that will do it. But there's no evidence of foul play. No evidence. They haven't found a body. All right? That's what they need. No body, no crime. There's no evidence a crime has been committed. Well, she took a ride via lift at 1 a.m. on June 17th, eight days ago, at 1 a.m. in the morning, to a residential area in North Salt Lake, a place where she did not live, and (laughs) 
her friends and family have no idea why she would have gone to that place. And in the wee hours of the morning, okay, I'm not going to say pitch black. There were probably visible stars and moon and what have you, but dark. But that parking lot, it should have been lit up. It's a residential parking lot in betwixt houses and other residences and immediately adjacent to tennis courts, and there have to be outdoor lights. So the question is, after the Lyft driver dropped her there, was she kidnapped in the parking lot? Or did she go to one of these houses or residences and was she violently attacked there? Is she still there? Has she been moved? Now, the police were not immediately advised of her disappearance because her parents were not immediately aware of it. But they have had many days now. (laughs) And again, the spokesperson there for the Salt Lake City Police, that is just so, you know, comforting. Oh, now, as more time goes on, then we'll be able to do more. Right. And yet again, how many times do we hear that the first 24 to 48 hours pertaining to a missing person is critical? Specifically with regard to children, but absolutely as true with regard to women, young women, women, young mothers, absolutely as true. If not more so, because they are more likely to be murdered, kidnapped, raped, and murdered. The crime of preference here in this nation. Violent crime of preference in these wonderful, modern, contemporary, enlightened times that we are in. But now, oh, the more time that goes by, the better. (laughs) Outstanding. So here's my recommendation. But before my recommendation, again, what should happen in these cases? Anytime that a child, a young, young person, a tweener, a teenage girl, a young woman, a woman, a young mother, a mother, a woman, anytime one of these goes missing, There should be an immediate response that is aggressive, swift and aggressive to canvas the immediate area of disappearance. What would that canvas entail? And again, this is going to require a change in laws. It means a house-to-house search, a thorough house-to-house search. But no, of course, we can't have anything like that. So let me recommend something that could be done by the Salt Lake City Police, even at this late hour, without a change in laws, okay, to get them up off of their sitting on their hands, as it were, proverbially. Again, a canvas, a house-to-house search requesting permission from the residents to search their residences.
Jews, stating to them the circumstances. A young woman is missing. She's been missing for eight and a half days, actually more than that, all right? As of the time right now, it's anyway, it's past eight and a half days. And there is every indication that she has met a very terrible fate, even if she's still alive. And while we do not have authority to search your residence without your permission, we are requesting said permission. We are seeking her. We are seeking to save her. We would appreciate it if you would cooperate. I guarantee you the overwhelming majority of these residents would cooperate. The overwhelming majority. And by so doing, the police could narrow down the possibilities to those who refused to cooperate and seek warrants to enter those. Now, if we had a righteous, godly government, we don't. Not a federal government, not state governments, not city governments. Nothing remotely like that. (laughs) Instead, we have the wicked, corrupt, profane governments, like in Washington State, where they will now be shielding foreign murderers, rapists, kidnappers, who have entered the nation illegally. Yes, there are such people, right? But the state of Washington, state of Washington is not supposed to be one of the most left-wing. But interestingly enough, as it has come to be a center of technology, it has veered further and further and further to the left, skewed further and further left. But... I digress. So this could be done. The police wouldn't have to do this do do about, well, we haven't discovered evidence that indicates that she is in any danger, that she is in any danger, that she has encountered any danger, that she is in harm's way, that anything bad has happened to her. No, they don't have to do that. And even without court orders and even without warrants, they could narrow down the playing field dramatically. Now, that's not to say that she still is in one of these residences. Because in point of fact, she may never have been. She may have been attacked in this parking lot, even though there was no evidence of blood, let alone of hers, apparently. After all, the police have been there more than once. They just haven't done anything, okay? No, of course, because their hands are tied. So instead, they issue these idiotic, ridiculous, untrue statements. Everything indicates that she is in danger. Everything points to her being kidnapped. And kidnapped to be raped, there has been no ransom demand. Kidnapped to be raped, 
and murdered, raped and kept as a sex slave, raped and then trafficked and prostituted. Those are the possibilities. There are no others. Again, we don't need Sherlock Holmes to help us with this one as far as narrowing down the possibilities of what has happened here. And again, not to pick on Salt Lake City police, we would have the same kind of response, if you can call it a response, from police departments nationwide. Now, I went into the mission statements of various major metropolitan police departments, and time and again they referenced that, you know, they're among their major mission items, mission agenda, major responsibilities was saving lives, was protecting lives. But interestingly enough, again, we do not have laws to permit that. (laughs) And of course, the FBI, they get involved once in a blue moon in such cases. There has to be evidence that a child or a young woman has been kidnapped. has to be evidence. And then there has to be evidence they've been taken across state lines and or that federal laws, various federal laws have been broken and other things like that. You know, really compelling stuff. So instead of them jumping in, you know, but of course they can get involved in so-called white-collar crime here, there, and the other place. But saving the lives of children and young women... Nah, not really a priority. Never has been in our modern history. Even though the first and foremost responsibility and justification for government is to protect the governed. First and foremost. Not only responsibility, but justification. Without that, No need for government. But now, I mentioned before, I discussed this case of Janine Camarata. Janine Camarata, she was described as missing, just as Mackenzie Lewick is described as missing, a missing person. What a mystery. No mystery. There was no mystery with Janine Camarata other than finding out where her body was. There's no mystery with regard to Mackenzie Lewick other than discovering where is she and is she still alive. But Janine Camarata, unlike Mackenzie Lewick, who's 23, unmarried young woman, intent on attending her friend's wedding and You know, looking forward to being a bride herself and having a family, but all of that probably by now has been snuffed out by vicious, ruthless destroyers with the able assistance of our legislative branch and our judiciary and our federal agencies under the executive branch and our state governments and local police, so forth. But Janine Camarata, her body was found, finally, 
It didn't take all that long. It was more than a week, may have been more than that. Her charred, unidentifiable body was discovered. But they were able to identify her by dental records, I believe. And her dear former husband, whom I believe she was in the midst of divorce proceedings from, who was a black man, a man of color. He and his new girlfriend, I don't know if she was of color or not. I've seen her, but I I couldn't tell you. (laughs) You're right, because we have these these definitions, you know, now that if you're 1% or whatever, then you are. But they have been charged with second-degree murder. Her estranged husband, Michael, Camarada and his live-in girlfriend, Aisha Egea, in the gruesome murder of Janine. Janine, who is a mother of three children, a substitute teacher, working other jobs to make ends meet. 37 years of age, slaughtered by former husband. But, again, she was a missing person until her charred, unidentifiable body was discovered. Missing. That's all. Not kidnapped. Not murdered. Missing. Just a missing person case. That's all. Because that's how our police forces handle these things. Regardless how compelling all evidence is, as there was, there was significant evidence with regard to her that she had been murdered. But until her body was found. And then what are they charged with? Second degree murder. Hmm. Or rather, the former husband, estranged husband, charged with second-degree murder. The woman charged with, you know, being an accessory after the fact or whatever. Even though she was involved in the fact. But copycat crimes. There's one in Connecticut. That was in New York City, Staten Island, I believe. Yes, uh, she was. Her body was discovered at a storage facility in Staten Island. She's a public school teacher in the city's borough of Staten Island. So, just across the way in Connecticut, in a commuter suburb of New York City, a very wealthy commuter suburb, New Canaan, Connecticut, the home of Janice. Pardon me, <laughs> getting confused with Janine there. The home of Jennifer Farber Dulos was searched because Jennifer went missing. She went missing after dropping off her five children at their private school in New Canaan. And the children range in age from 8 to 13 years of age. Her home was searched. And she had also an estranged husband, a native of Greece, whom her father, her late father, had given and or loaned 
approximately $10 million to. That's right. In order to start his own business, custom home building business. And to this day, he owes her mother $1.7 million plus. But I digress. So Jennifer Farber Dulos missing since May 24th when she dropped off her children at school. So her home was searched, and lo and behold, what was found? Blood, her blood. But not only her blood, but mixed with her blood was her estranged husband's DNA. In her kitchen, at her kitchen sink, in the garage, so forth. She was slaughtered in her own home. This is a home she never shared with Fotis Dulos. He never lived there, but his DNA was mixed with her blood in the kitchen, at the kitchen sink. And interestingly enough, unlike the case of Janine Camarata, who was slaughtered at the residence of her estranged husband instead of at her home, this woman was slaughtered in her home. Now, when I mention copycat murder, I can't help but think that Fotis Dulos thought, well, okay, Mr. Camarada, he got caught, but, but, that doesn't mean I will get caught, (laughs) right? I'm smarter than him, and I'm going to slaughter my beautiful estranged wife at her home, and nobody will see anything about it, And there will be no connection with me. I've never lived there. Not going to do it where I'm living. (laughs) And what do these men have in common? Besides slaughtering their wives, they both have live-in lovers. In each case, these live-in lovers are significantly less attractive than their estranged wives. They each have a number of children, three children by Janine, five by Jennifer Farber. These women who had the exceedingly bad judgment to marry wicked men. But Fotis Dulos and his lover-girlfriend, Michelle Troconis, what have they been charged with? Murder? No. Kidnapping? No. No, they have been arraigned on suspicion of tampering with evidence and obstructing the investigation. Oh, my. The investigation into them Well, two people who matched the description of Fotis Dulos and of Michelle Traconis 
were recorded on video disposing of trash bags the night of the disappearance of Jennifer Farber. Or Jennifer Farber Dulos, if you prefer. Surveillance cameras showed a pickup truck similar, very similar, to one that is owned by Fotis, and it stopped more than 30 times along the length of a four-mile stretch of road of Albany Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut. Fascinating, don't you think? Now you see, Jennifer, she lived in New Canaan. But not so Dulos, no. He lives 60 miles away. And lo and behold, this was ever so much more convenient for him as far as Hartford, the capital of Connecticut. But... His bond was set at $500,000, a mere one-half million dollars. And he and his wonderful, wonderful lawyer, they attempted to have that bond reduced. But they were unsuccessful in getting it reduced. But nonetheless, after a week's time, he was able to post bail. Curiously, and obviously, this has nothing to do with anything. Fotis's mother, Cleopatra Dulos, she died after she was run over by an employee, a family employee, in their driveway in Avon, Connecticut, back in 2010. Surely it had nothing to do with photos, of course. I mean, oh, and you, you know, I definitely would have nothing to do with him. But the children, the five children, are staying with Jennifer's mother, and she has security guards on watch outside her property where they have been staying. Jennifer's father, a very successful, wealthy man who was a high-ranking executive of Chase Manhattan Bank, again, gave and or loaned $10 million to her husband. But her father is deceased. But fascinating about this. The way we do things here in the United States of America, in law enforcement, in investigation of violent crime, our justice system, it's just something to really make us proud of. So here... Jennifer Farber Dulos is still considered a missing person 
After all of this time, after going missing on May 24th, here we are that far into June, and she is still considered a missing person. Not kidnapped, not murdered. No. And yet all of the evidence shows that she was attacked, slaughtered, butchered in her home. And because of the evidence in the garage, I tend to believe, suspect, I should say, that Fotis, after slaughtering her, dismembered her in order to make for easier disposal of her body. Court documents showed that Jennifer was terrified for her family's safety. Now, she wrote a book. She is a writer. She wrote a book, a draft back that she finished in 2002. And Fotis's ever-so-clever defense lawyer, clever, immoral, (laughs) advocate for evil, he as you might expect, trying to assassinate the character of Jennifer Farber, claiming that she is not the victim of violence. No, instead she has faked her disappearance, (laughs) right? Meanwhile, the divorce proceeding continues. The child custody proceeding continues, in which there have been over 400 motions. But of course, she would just up and run away from her children, her pride and joy, the love of her life. Of course. But such claims don't have to be reasonable. No. Certainly not. If you (laughs) pay attention to such things, I'm sure you pay more attention to them than I do. We are forever hearing about, and this has gone on for decades and decades now, about the importance of nonverbal communication, body language, right? About all of the myriad, sophisticated, little minutia of body language. Well, I know very little. If anything, if anything, I would go so far as to say I know nothing about body language. But I do know when I see a look that could kill. And Fotis Dulos absolutely looks that way. (laughs) If I didn't know better, I would think he was a drug cartel head. Or with Cosa Nostra, or Mafia, or Hitman, something. Just, <laughs> just a look that will kill. But he's out. He's out on bail. Yes, he is fitted with a location monitoring device. And he has been ordered not to have contact with his children while he is free on bail. Oh, don't you love these judges? Don't you? They're so wonderful. (laughs) These wonderful judges. So, 
Anyway, he's out on bail, and again, he has a monitoring device. Jennifer had previously written, quote, we are all terrified to disobey my husband, end quote. When I refer to Dulos having a look that can kill, I don't mean every photo you will see of him. But there are photos of him that certainly pertain to that. But what about the matter of monitoring? Before I get to that, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right and true and good and accurate in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And giving me a heart for truth. And whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. But a story that I commented on some months back. A young man, you may not think so, he's 30 years of age, so that may not qualify as a young man. But a young man, a National Guard officer, Joshua Yabut. I hope that is the correct pronunciation. Yabut, Yabut. He was able to travel to Iraq for two days while wearing an ankle monitor. He traveled on commercial airlines. Wouldn't you think that would have set off the metal detectors? Wouldn't you think that would have caught the attention of the security people, whether they were TSA or whether they were airline security people? Wouldn't you think so? Wearing an ankle monitor, how do you get through the metal detectors without setting them off? But he was able to fly on commercial aircraft from the United States of America, hopscotching to Iraq and back. Amazing. Oh, well, that's not relevant. Heavens to Betsy. No. But Fotis Dulos, now that he has been released on bail, ordered not to have contact with his children, he has a monitoring device. So that will guarantee that he will stay put. Right, We have his word on it, I guess, or, or his lawyer's word on it, or what have you. Yeah, outstanding. But that's where we are in the United States of America. Missing persons cases, huh? Back to Mackenzie Lewick. Missing person. Missing young woman. But there's no evidence of foul play, and she's an adult. She is the operative word. A very slender, tender young woman. She is an adult. We're not talking about a member of SEAL Team 6 here. Or SEAL Team 5 or 7. Or a Green Beret. Or a member of any of the special forces, including the Army's Uber special forces that ranks above the SEALs, nor a Marine, nor Army Ranger, nor anything else. 
not a martial artist, not a mixed martial artist. She is an adult, a 23-year-old, slender, slim, tender, sweet young woman, missing now for more than eight and a half days, but there's no evidence of foul play. So we really cannot get involved in aggressively seeking her. No, it would be wrong. It would be wrong to infringe upon the privacy of these neighbors there at this residence. Not neighbors of hers, but neighbors of each other. It would be wrong to impose upon them. It would be wrong to ask them for their cooperation, for permission to search their homes, their residences. That would be an odious inconvenience, right? Certainly not merited. No, because, again, there's no evidence. There's no blood splatter. There's no bloody weapon. There's no body. There's no bloody clothing of hers. No personal effects. Therefore, there is no evidence. No body, no crime. Right? This is the United States of America that our forefathers foresaw. This is the United States of America that they founded. This is the United States of America that they dreamed of and that they sacrificially jeopardized their lives to create. Right? No. No, this is the United States of America of Nancy Pelosi, of Elizabeth Warren, of Bernie Sanders, of Joe Biden, of Donald Trump, of Donald Trump Jr., of Bill Clinton, of Hillary Rodham Clinton, of Kamala Harris, former Attorney General of California, of Gavin Newsom, Governor of California, the great state of California, former mayor of San Francisco, former husband of Kimberly Guilfoyle, girlfriend lover of Donald Trump Jr., at least she was last I knew. This is their United States of America, a corrupted, perverted, unjust, violent crime-ridden, bloody abomination in God's sight. But continuing on with New York and crime in New York, I expect you have seen some words, some mention about Anthony Zotola Sr. Yes, Anthony died. He died. It's very sad. But what is sadder, sadder yet, is that not only did he die violently, murdered, cut down by gangbangers, Obviously, just a mugging. It couldn't be anything more than that. But his, one of his sons, Salvatore, was 
ambushed in front of his home and was shot multiple times in the head and chest. And he survived. He's 41, Salvatore. But Anthony Zatola Sr., he was shot to death as he sat in his SUV at a McDonald's drive-thru. Yes. And I might have the names wrong. Let me go back over it. Ah! Pardon me. I apologize. Anthony Zatola Sr., what caught, what confused me was the, the suffix, Sr. Anthony Zatola Sr. is the other son of Sylvester Zotola. So Sylvester Zotola was the father. 71 years of age, he is deceased. Two sons, Anthony Zotola Sr., which they didn't throw that senior in, and Salvatore. Well, Anthony Zotola, he arranged for his father and his brother to be murdered. This has been going on for years now. There have been multiple attempts. But they finally succeeded in murdering the father. And again, how Salvatore survived after having been shot multiple times in both the head and chest, I don't know. But he did. But Sylvester, tough man. He was invaded in his home. Victim of home invasion in December Three men invaded his home. They struck him on the head repeatedly with a gun. Pistol whipping, you know. They stabbed him multiple times. They slashed his throat, slit his throat, and he survived. That wasn't the only attack on him. No, there was another one with a gunman, a masked gunman who attempted to murder him, but failed to. But, you know, Anthony, persistent fellow. So he continued until he succeeded in getting his father murdered again. He never ventured (laughs) to lay a hand on his father. Instead, let's blame it on the gangbangers. And I'm guessing he... He was afraid of his father anyway, afraid of his father, afraid of his brother, brother. So he had others do it, had others do it. He was able to distance himself. He had plausible deniability. Yes. Well, the father has very definite organized crime links. Yes. A reputed associate. What is an associate anyway of the Bonanno Mafia family. Yes. But a tough, tough old bird, right? And his son. But his other son did him in. Nothing like the love of immediate family, right? It is possible 
emphasis on possible, that the son responsible for this and those who committed the murder, they could possibly face the death penalty. But rest assured, they won't. No. Just another inspiring American true story. Family love. Cain and Abel. (laughs) But, if you will. But, there was another instance which was not family related, so I will hold off on that for a moment. But see, the police could get involved in this one with the Zotolos because there was evidence, evidence of wrongdoing, right? The son repeatedly shot in the head and the chest. The father beaten savagely, stabbed multiple times, his throat slit. They both survived, but the police could get involved. They didn't manage to keep the father from being murdered thereafter, but they could get involved. They could get active. So I don't mean that NYPD was doing better than the Salt Lake City police, right? But another case, a 26-year-old woman, 26-year-old rookie officer, Tara O'Sullivan. Yes, she... And her partner, they visited a house that they thought a certain individual was in. Adel Sambrano Ramos. But he wasn't in that house. Instead, he was in the house behind them. And he opened fire on them. And... Her partner had himself between the house that they were addressing and the 26-year-old woman. She was behind him, so presumably safe. But they got shot from behind, and she was cut down. In good old California, there are extenuating circumstances. It's possible that Ramos could actually face a death penalty, but Governor Gavin Newsom, former hubby of Kimberly Guilfoyle, Governor Gavin Newsom, he has imposed a moratorium on executions because executions are inhuman. Right? They are just, you know, we just shouldn't have them. They're just wrong. Just absolutely wrong. It's so wrong to eliminate, to execute, to rid our nation of evil, of destroyers. Are we ever go- would we ever be able to rid it of all of these evil ones? No. But <laughs> we don't even make the attempt. Less than 100 executions 
per year. And when there are executions, it has typically taken a quarter of a century before (laughs) the destroyers are executed. And if they are executed, of course, it's supposed to be completely painless. And if it's not completely painless, there is terrible outcry about terrible, cruel, and unusual punishment. But so what is to become of Mackenzie Lewick? Every passing hour in the case of a kidnap, the likelihood of that person being found alive diminish precipitously. It has now been, again, more than eight and a half days. I recommend you pray for Mackenzie Lewick. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.